0: I uh, hope you like what we've done with the place. Uh, we've, uh, we've cleaned some stuff up here and added a few things that you may have noticed, but uh, I don't know if you've uh, been able to gather, but our theme is uh, African-related uh, today uh, for Vacation Bible School, and uh, we're excited about all that uh, is going to happen this week. Someone did suggest, Jonathan, I think, suggested that maybe I treat this little thrust as pride rock from Lion King and hold my Bible up high and and scream like that monkey does or baboon or whatever it is but uh, I'll just uh, I'll just talk incoherently like a monkey and that'll be like a normal Sunday for you guys if you would please open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 31 Jeremiah 31 we are kind of coming to a transition point in our series of messages called Bible 101. This is the last of the uh, Old Testament passages that we are going to study. We've spent, I think, all together, counting today, seven weeks, looking at Old Testament passages that we believe every Jesus follower should be familiar with. And we come today to Jeremiah 31. This may be one of those passages, though, that uh, you wouldn't have thought of Maybe on your own it might not have been something that would have occurred to you would be all that, all that important, but let me tell you why it was selected. Again, very subjective list, but why was this particular passage of Scripture selected and why is it the last one from the Old Testament? Well, it was selected because I think it does a better job than maybe any other Old Testament passage of correcting uh, something in our minds. We would never state it this crassly. Uh, on a Sunday morning, but functionally we would believe this and think this, that that the Old Testament, this is how we view it, the Old Testament somehow was God's plan A, and that just went disastrously wrong. And so what we have in the New Testament is God's plan B in order to fix things. So, so we tend to, to view that these are not... Um, a continuation of one story to the next, but almost two completely different stories of how God interacts with people. Um, We tend to think that grace is something that only shows up in the New Testament, doesn't show up in the Old Testament. Well, this, this particular passage of Scripture shows how the Bible is one continuous story. That what we have in the New Testament isn't a plan B, that something God uh, had to cook up because everything had gone wrong in the Old Testament. We see that it is a continuation of the story of the Old. In fact, what we see is that Jesus uh, takes all things that are old and makes them new again in the New Testament, and Jeremiah 31 will help us see that. So I hope you found Jeremiah 31, find verse 31 of Jeremiah 31. And let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though... I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever." Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill of Gareb, and shall turn to Goa. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook of Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be uprooted or overthrown anymore forever. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. now. You may think I've done a bait and switch with you because there was a lot of not like the old, but there will be a new kind of language happening in what I just read for you. But before we really kind of dive into that, let's make sure our background is okay. the The first covenant that is spoken of here it can be summed up most easily for us in the Ten Commandments. Now. The, the Old Covenant, the, the, the Old Testament law was, was much more than that, but it can be summed up essentially in the Ten Commandments. So God uh, at Sinai gives the people of Israel the Ten Commandments, and He says, Obey these, and then I will be your God, and I will bless you, and you will be My people. But we know that almost immediately the people could not and that's really how it appears they just couldn't do it I mean they were they were an absolute train wreck from the get-go they'd have good moments but then they were constantly coming back to the same old sins all the time and the reason that the law was important was not because God had decided on an arbitrary list that he was going to create deciding in eternity what's going to be good and what's going to be bad. Have you ever thought about that? Why is lying bad? And why is murder something that we should frown on? I mean, wh- wh- why are these things the way they are? I think sometimes we f- tend to think God was just up there thinking, I'm going to make that bad, and I'm going to make this good, and I'm going to see how well they're able to come about it. But if you read the Old Testament carefully at all, you'll see that the laws are not arbitrary. The Ten Commandments not arbitrary you'll see that they are actually a reflection of the character of God. That these things are right and these things are wrong. These things are sin and these things are holy because those things are true of God. And so when God invites the people of Israel to obey, what he's doing is to invite them into a relationship with him. If you were going to hang out with me, essentially is what God is saying, then you need to act as I act and do as I do. We We need to be compatible. And Israel had shown themselves over and over and over again that they were fundamentally incompatible with God. Now, we know because we've been in this great series of messages called Bible 101, looking at all these Old Testament passages, why Israel was incompatible. We know why we're incompatible. We're incompatible because sin. Sin is where? Sin is in our nature. It is our nature to be sinners. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. We ourselves are sinners. And that makes us fundamentally incompatible with God. So when God says, hey, what I need you to do is go against your nature. And I need you to obey these things so that we can be in relationship. We may do good for a while. But then we're going to stumble and the relationship is going to be absolutely shattered again and so what God is saying in these verses that we have just read is not that I'm going to do something new not that I'm gonna come up with a new agreement he is saying that the character of the agreement is going to remain the same the delivery of the agreement is going to be different the law is still going to be the standard but how that law is obeyed is what is going to change and we see in these verses, because we're New Testament Christians and we know where to look, that Jesus is the reason that this agreement is going to uh, be changed in its delivery. So, what are the three things that we need to see? Because I am a Baptist preacher, and there are only three things in anything, right? So, so uh, first, this. God completes His purpose through Jesus. He completes His purpose through Jesus. Now, remember... His purpose is ultimately to create a people for himself so that they can be in relationship with one one another. Now, that that doesn't mean that that's all that God was intending to do, but but at its core, God was calling a people to be in relationship with him, a deep, abiding relationship with him. All right, That's his purpose, and he's going to accomplish it through Jesus. And this is when the delivery thing becomes... first and foremost in our mind. You'll see that he's still going to ask that the law be obeyed, but rather than have the law suddenly be external to them, something that they would read, something that they would open up scrolls and study, or something that they would see on the tablets of the Ten Commandments, rather than the law be external to them, what God was going to do was fundamentally reconstitute humanity remember we're sinners by nature and by choice we're sinners and what he says here is I'm going to reconstitute the nature of humanity and I'm going to write my law on their hearts so that it becomes internal to them so that it becomes their nature being in relationship with me becomes possible not because they're trying to do something that doesn't come natural to them, but because I have placed my very character, remember that's what the law represents, I've placed my very character on their heart. So he's going to reconstitute humanity. The question we need to ask is how is that going to happen? And if you look at the last part of verse 34, he says that I'm going to do this because I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember it no more I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember it no more and by doing so I will be able to to fundamentally change the nature of humanity I will create a new humanity who can possess my character as something intrinsic to them and the reason I'm able to do this is because their sin has been forgiven now we all know that the mechanisms for forgiveness existed in the Old Testament but because we have the book of Hebrews in the New Testament we know that those mechanisms for forgiveness the sacrifices ultimately pointed to the once and for all sacrifice of Christ Jesus on the cross for our sins and at that moment when Christ died for sin he provided a sufficient price for every sin that had ever been committed by everyone in human history so when I came to Christ Jesus as my savior on March the 26 1978 as an 11 year old boy in the sixth grade at that moment At that very moment, every sin that I had committed to that point was forgiven. And at that moment, every sin that I would commit from an 11-year-old to a 53-year-old, and believe me, as I got older, I figured out a lot better, more creative ways to sin. Every sin that I had committed between 11 and 53 were forgiven because of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. And what's more... Every single sin that I will commit from this second to the end of my life was forgiven because of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And so because... All of my sin has been provided for by Christ, and because I have surrendered myself to Him, availed myself by a full surrender of my life to Christ as my Savior and my Lord, my life, the character of my life, has been, from that moment forward, fundamentally changed. Paul says it. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone be in Christ, if anyone surrendered themselves to Christ Jesus, they are fundamentally different. They are a new creature. They're not a remodeled creature. They're not an optimized old version of, or new version of their old self. What they are is a brand new creature. And because at the moment of salvation, you are reconstituted as a human being. Your life then becomes capable of being a reservoir of the very life of God. His character begins to transform our heart. Now, we know that there will always be a journey in expressing that and in learning that as we go forward. But because of what Jesus has done, His original purpose which was to bring people into fellowship with Him, has been taken care of. And so what God wanted to do in the Old Testament, He continued to want anew in the new. It's just that the way that that was delivered was through Christ Jesus, and His character begins to transform our own from the inside out. Jesus, Jesus completes the purpose of God but next this we see in Jeremiah 31 that God keeps his promise through Jesus keeps his promise through Jesus now what was the nature of his promise the nature of his promise was that back to Abraham back to David that Israel would always be a nation before Him. alright so let's look at how God kinda doubles down on that promise Look at verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. In case you didn't know what I was talking about, let me underscore that for you. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order, if the sun no longer rises and set, if the moon and the stars don't follow their paths from before me, declares the Lord, if this no longer happens, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever? What's he saying? He's saying it'll never happen. It'll never happen. Then go on, verse 37. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. He's saying, in essence, if we could explore every square inch, centimeter, of the universe, and measure off everything, if we can do that, then Israel will never be a nation before me. And we all know that those things aren't going to happen. And so we say, well, there's God's promise. Good for God. Israel will always be a nation before Him. Except they haven't been. Right? Let's, let's just all, let's all, you know, pretend for a second we're not in church where we always have to give pat answers to things. They haven't been. I mean, at this very moment in history, they were being obliterated as a geopolitical entity. The, Nebu- the armies of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were wiping them off. They were, they were not a political entity anymore. And then they got their act together, and God let them come back to the land of Israel, and they established kind of a rudimentary government, and they, they were able to exist once again as a geopolitical entity entity, but then they rebelled against God again, and in 70 AD, the the Roman general Titus comes in and he lays waste to Jerusalem, and from 70 AD till 1948, Israel did not exist as a nation on the planet Earth. And you're saying, well, was Jeremiah mistaken, or did God lie? And the answer to those questions are no and no. And all the elders just went, (laughs) <laughs> they don't have to have an afternoon meeting with me. Uh, Jeremiah was not mistaken, and God did not lie. You say, so how does this work? Well, from Jeremiah's point onward, a truth begins to be revealed about what it means to be the people of God. It's not about ethnicity. It's about faithfulness. Jeremiah begins to speak, inspired by God, of how God was going to keep a faithful remnant to himself. So while ethnic Israel and political Israel would begin to go off the rails and experience the judgment of God, there would be a group of people who were going to remain faithful to the covenant and and do everything they could to be faithful to it. And from that remnant of people, that faithful people, come Mary and Joseph, and Christ Jesus. And then from that moment on, faithfulness becomes possible not just for a faithful remnant of ethnic Israel, but for all people. So here's what, here's what Paul says in Romans 9-6. He says, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not everybody who has the DNA of Abraham actually belongs to Israel because he says in Galatians six sixteen there is an Israel of God there is a true Israel the true people of God are not people who have the right bloodlines the true people of God are those who are faithful to God and the way that we are made faithful to God is that we are fundamentally reconstituted as human beings we are forgiven through the blood of Christ Jesus and then the character of God is implanted in us now here's why that's important for us as New Testament Christians there is so much garbage theologically that rolls around that basically tries to convince Modern American Christians, that they're second-class citizens, that God's okay with us, but He really loves the DNA of Israel. And what I am telling you is that the truth of Scripture is that ethnic Jew and ethnic Irishman and an ethnic African are the true Israel of God if they've given their life to Jesus as Savior and as Lord. That's that's who we are. We are the Israel of God. We are the ones who have been changed through the blood of Jesus so that we are able to be faithful to God because the very character of God is being imprinted and rewiring our heart. So God is able to keep His promise through Israel, through Jesus and Israel, the true Israel of God continues to exist before him. That's who we are today. Here's the final thing. God restores his people through Jesus. Now, those last several verses that I read from uh, Jeremiah 31 are the kinds of verses that make people give up the Old Testament, right? Because, I mean, it's talking about going, you know, down to the sheep gate and the horse gate and all those places, and you think, man, I don't even know what that is. I mean, if if that language had said, you know, I need you to get on Antioch, go up to 135th, get on 135th, go all the way over the state line, come back to 151st, and go, you'd say, well, I know what that means. Well, they knew what that meant too, all right? That's not, that's not new information. So it's simple. It's just difficult for us to grasp. So what's he describing? He's describing the boundary markers of the city of Jerusalem. That's what he's describing. And he's talking about how that's going to to be rebuilt one day and it's going to be made new and it's going to be completely restored. When he speaks of the bodies and the ashes, he's, he's, he's inviting the people who were being sent away into exile by the Babylonian armies to remember all those bodies they marched by on the way out of town. And says those won't be there anymore and that will all be reconstituted as the city of Jerusalem. And you say, well, that's great. Why does that matter to me? Well, because Jerusalem represented more than a city to the people of Israel. What it ultimately represented was the very presence of God because of the temple. Because the temple stood in Jerusalem, there was a place where Jews from everywhere could go and remain in obedience to what God had asked them to do, fulfill the sacrifices that God had called them to observe in order to maintain the character of their relationship with God. They could go. As long as there was a temple, there was always, always hope that our relationship with God could be salvaged. But with Jerusalem gone and with the temple gone, there's really no hope anymore of our relationship being restored. So when God is saying I'm going to rebuild Jerusalem, he's also in their mind saying I'm going to rebuild the temple. Which he did. The temple was reconstructed after being in Babylon for 70 years. They came back and Zerubbabel and uh, other people were were able to begin to rebuild the temple and then Herod took over and turned it into, you know, this really kind of opulent palace. But then Titus kicked all that over in 70 AD. So What's being spoken of here is something different. And a lot of times people want to think, well, in the sweet by and by, a long time from now, there's going to be this this reconstituted Jerusalem, which I I do believe. I believe when Christ returns and sets up up his kingdom, there will be a reconstituted Jerusalem, but I don't believe there will be a temple because the Bible says there won't be a temple because God will be with the people. God will be with the people. So what he's pointing to here is that there will come a time, because of what Jesus has done, where everyone will have access to the very presence of God. So everything that's in the Old Testament becomes new again in the new because Jesus Christ dots the I's, crosses the T's, and fills in the blanks. So now let's... I lost my chair. That would have been trouble. <laughs> so now let's stop and think about uh, what we do with this in the last few minutes. I always want to make sure that we spend some time talking about this. Because otherwise, all I've done is give you a Bible lesson. And honestly, the last thing that a lot of suburban Christians need is more Bible information. I mean, if it, it, you're, we need to do something with this, Right? Say, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Did, I mean, I can appreciate, I've come to a point where I can appreciate the Old and the New Testament are one story. Good. What do I do with that? The first application of every single message, you've heard me say this, is worship. We worship God. We are able to come before God and we are able to say to our holy God, thank you that you are not operating on the fly, <laughs> that there has been an eternal plan. To bring all things together at your feet through the blood of Jesus. That should cause us to worship God and should inform our prayers this week. That's that's one thing we can do. but, But what are some more physical things that we can do? All right, let me give you a simple one. Go to Sunday school. You're saying, oh my goodness, here comes the Sunday school commercial, all right? It is, it's kind of a Sunday school commercial. I'm a walking billboard today anyway, why not, right? Here's why, here's why Sunday school is important as it relates to this message. We're in a, a curriculum series called the Gospel Project, which is attempting to show adults how the Bible is one story, how we see the gospel of Jesus all the way through. So going to Sunday school will help you begin to to grow your muscles and understanding how the Bible uh, is one story. That's the first thing you could do. Second thing you could do on your own is read the book of Hebrews. Read it carefully. Find some good resource material that help you read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament because the book of Hebrews in the New Testament is an exposition of how Jesus completes everything that we have talked about here today. I would encourage you to do that. But here's the most important thing. I hope that you have seen, as you have, have listened patiently to this message today, that there is no hope for any of us except Jesus Christ. There's no hope for any of us except Jesus Christ. And you may have thought, you know, I need to go back to church. My kids are going to need it. It was good for me. I, 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 need, to, I need to go back to I need to go back to church. I used to go when I was a kid. I want to want to go back again because I just I need that little pick me up every day. You don't need a pick me up. You don't. I mean, if you need a pick me up, subscribe to some motivational thing a day and get it texted to you. We're not here to give you a pick me up. We're here to tell you that your only hope is Jesus Christ. That you need a Savior. I need a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. And the only one that God has offered to us is Christ Jesus. And so the number one thing you need to do with this message is ask yourself, have I availed myself of the only hope that God gives me to have a relationship with? Have I surrendered all that I am and all that I ever will be to Jesus as Savior? If you do that, you've done the number one thing that this text asks us to do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, please.